You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. What is assigned to the second coming of Messiah Jesus? Well, we're actually given the answer, I think, quite explicitly. It's found in Matthew 24, and then you have the parallel accounts in you know Mark 13 and Luke 21, Luke 17 as well. And uh, Jesus had a, uh, a conflict with the climactic conflict with the Jewish leadership. And toward the end of his ministry, a few days uh, before he would be crucified. And the conflict would prompt the, his disciples to, to ask, ask him, you know, what is the sign of his return and of the end of the age? Um <clears throat> And in, in Matthew 24, uh, verse 3, let me just read that. Uh, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came up to him privately and, and, and said, Tell us when will these things happen? That is referring to the destruction of, of Jerusalem. He also prophesied that no stone would be left on, on, on top of each other and it would be destroyed. And then the other question is, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Uh, by the way, I, there, there's, I think there's some confusion out there on what is the difference between the, the coming and the, and the end of the age. It's, it's actually quite simple. The, 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 uh, the end of the age happens when Jesus returns. It's that simple. Um, the coming is not the same thing as the end of the age per se, it's that his his coming brings about the end of the age. The disciples they 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 ask Jesus what this sign is, and this would prompt Jesus to uh, to give one of the longest discourses in the recorded in the in all of the gospels. That fact in itself should tell us, hey. Uh, it's incumbent upon us to listen to what this is saying. I mean, think of it. Think about this, because there are vast theologies out there, not just one, many theologies out there that believe that this teaching has nothing to do with us. Uh, pre-tribulationists they write off one of the longest recorded discourses of Jesus uh, as well. That doesn't apply to the church. That applies to maybe, you know, uh, Jewish believers during the quote-unquote tribulation period. Uh, you know, preterists, they say that, that this does not apply to us because it's already been fulfilled. Uh, and, you know, uh, then you have historicists who just kind of, uh, in, in my view, historicize these discernible events and make them uh, embody them in different institutions and events throughout church history. But as a futurist myself, this is serious. This is a serious warning because, again, you have one of the longest recorded 
accounts uh, of of Jesus' teaching to who? To his disciples. Who are his disciples? They're representatives of the church, of the founding of the church. They're the ones that are founding the church. And in Jesus' ministry, he is laying, he, he, for, for Jesus, he views the disciples that they are the ones who are going to spread the gospel. To who? Well, to the world, but they're going to uh, in, help inaugurate the, uh, the church age. And so the representative, representatives of, of the church. And so here Jesus gives the Olive Discourse. Uh, that is the response to their answers. So I think it's incumbent again upon every Christian to understand what the sign to the second coming of Messiah Jesus is. Uh, every pastor needs to be preaching this, not ignoring it. I mean, I, I've heard pra- some pastors say, you know, we preach the whole counsel of God's word, but in practice, this is ignored, or else it's just given kind of lip service. No, this is some of the most severe warnings from Christ in the Gospels have to do with his second coming. And so uh, we have to respond to all those platitudes out there and say, well, you know, it's nice that you want to study prophecy, but don't get too wrapped up in it, right? Uh, all these platitudes, I've, I've gone over that many times on, on, uh, in my, um, or on my website. You can go to alankirshner.com slash platitudes, and I, I have actually a, an ongoing series responding to all these, you know, cliches and uh, platitudes, slogans that are intended to deflate uh, one's faith, or what, I'm sorry, to, um, intended to deflate one's uh, zeal to to study the doctrine of the second coming. So in verse three, the disciples ask, what is the sign of the coming and the end of the age? And now Jesus doesn't answer that question actually uh, immediately. He, he, Jesus gives a, a number of warnings uh, that's going to happen. Uh, events that are going to happen that are going to test their faith. Um, <clears throat> you know, he talks about the pre- preliminary birth pains that will affect the, lo- the world at large, warning them that the end has not come. Uh, he, again, he, he's going to warn his disciples that great suffering for God's people would precede his return. And then it isn't until verse 27. Till verse 27, he finally reveals the actual, specific, authenticating sign to his second coming, his second parousia. And he says, For just like the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. So he uses this this lightning imagery uh, to denote, well, I mean, the imagery is obviously going to refer to his glory, as well as confirmed a couple of verses um, later, as we'll see. And verse twenty-seven, <clears throat> verse twenty-seven begins with the word "for." In the Greek, it's "gar," and in Greek, "gar" can have several meanings. Well, in this specific context, 
it gives the reason the disciples are not to believe people when they say, you know, quote, here is the Christ or there he is. You know, Jesus mentioned that back in verses 23 to 26. So this this lightning imagery, okay, as I mentioned, it it, it denotes his Shekinah glory. It's it's going to be the the radiant the radiant glory of the divine presence. In, in other words, the 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 sign is the sun himself in all of his brilliance. Just a, as a cross reference, Psalm ninety seven four is interesting. It reads, "His lightning bolts light." Uh, I'm sorry, his lightning bolts light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. And wow, that just really is um, an awesome prophecy because it's a, it's a parallel to to this text. And when this happens, okay. The, the the function of the sign is to indicate that listen there, there's in other words there's no need when it does happen there's no need to point it out because it will be and here's the operative word it's going to be unmistakable that's the whole point it's going to be unmistakable it's not going to be hmm you know people are going to be scratching their heads wondering is this is this uh, is Jesus returning and <laughs> that's not going to happen uh, so this and and there's another imagery here. There's there's directional imagery, uh, a directional analogy of flashing from the east to the west, and that I think that indicates the universal visibility of the event. Okay, so it's not going to be oh well you know we got to be in Jerusalem to see the second coming of Christ, or we got to we got to be in um, you know Wisconsin <laughs> or New Jersey. Uh, no, even even in New Jersey, the sun you. <laughs> Believers will see the Son of Man uh, returning. So it's going to be universal. Uh, the Shekinah glory will be the authenticating sign of the genuine Messiah. And it's going to contrast with all those false messianic claimants. All of their and 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 don't get me wrong, because Jesus says back in verse 23, 26 that the, the false claimants, the false messianic claimants, they're wonders and signs and all that. It's going to be powerful. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be very deceptive. Uh, but Jesus' sign is going to be the the, the uh, cachet, the, the authenticating, genuine mark of the Messiah. Now, in <clears throat> conjunction with Jesus explaining the sign, uh, he ominously utters this proverb in verse 28. He says, whatever, or I'm sorry, wherever, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In this verse, uh, this verse is related to what came before it and what comes after it. Uh, I, verse 28, I've always seen this as a, as a pivotal structural verse because it distinguishes two epochs of human history. And these two epochs of human history, they convey, I think it conveys the principle that where moral corruption exists, divine judgment is required. Uh, and this proverb had different versions, by the way, in antiquity. In the um, Near East, there's, again, different versions of it. And Moral, where moral corruption exists, divine judgment is required. In other words, so when, when the world's depravity has reached full to the brim, right, uh, that's when God's eschatological judgment, um, well, will begin. And 
uh, I think, again, this comports with the narrative structure of Matthew 24 because if you look at it, everything preceding verse 28 is describes what? Well, it describes moral corruption. And everything that follows verse 28 describes divine judgment. So, in, in short, the proverb serves as a warning that the day of the Lord's judgment will begin when Christ returns. Not before. Not before. Um, I know pre-tribulationists love to try to have, you know, the day of the Lord's wrath happening before uh, verse 28. But no, no, that, that this is man's corruption, antichrist, great tribulation, persecution, all that has nothing to do with God's judgment. Okay, God's judgment begins when Christ returns. It's that simple. Um, only a encrusted tradition uh, will, you know, uh, you know, violate the 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 plain meaning in Matthew twenty four. Judgment begins when Christ returns on the clouds, and <clears throat> so uh, and. This proverb also, I think, has a an additional meaning uh, or connotation, and that is, well, let, let me go back and read it again. Wh- wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In other words, I think, you know, it, it means that when when Christ returns, people will no more miss the presence of the Son of Man when he returns than vultures will miss the presence of corpses. Jesus' return, his return will be obvious. Again, that's getting back to this, again, the Shekinah glory, right? It's going to be obvious. Uh, No second guessing whether this is the Son of Man. You know, we're not going to have to tune into CNN, you know, and hear talking heads debate, is this the Son of Man's return? No, uh, no, everyone will know that this is the, the, um, uh, the return of the true Messiah that is the Son, and they're either going to faint in terror, as Luke 21 says, or in Luke 21 it says, uh, for believers, they are to stand up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. Now, this this sign, we have to maybe back up just a little bit, because this sign is set in the context of another supernatural event, and that is what is called the celestial disturbance event. In verse 29, it reads, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. All right? So the 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 the, the um, cosmic luminaries will go dark. And then at some point during the celestial spine-chilling darkness, the global seismic quakes and the tempestuous seas, the Lord will pierce through in all of his theophonic Shekinah splendor. Jesus does not have to have these celestial disturbances to happen for his Shekinah glory to be seen. I think it's just going to highlight his glory when he returns uh, to to all the world. <clears throat> so this this second coming or a parousia glory, this will authenticate 
the Messiah's presence, contrary you know, to the false signs originating from the in- inauthentic Christ. And as I mentioned, to ac- accentuate this brilliant sign, the, the Shekinah glory is revealed against this backdrop of this dark cel- celestial uh, disturbances. By the way, you might want to note there's uh, uh, these other related verses that mention Christ's appearance. Uh, and I'll just mention a few of these. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.14, 2 Timothy 4.8, Titus 2.13, Acts 2.20, 1 John 2.28, 1 John 3.2, Colossians 3.4, and uh, well, 1 Peter 5.4, and then Revelation 1.7. All right, the, the, uh, the Greek term... For heaven, I want to mention this uh, because the the term heaven is mentioned in this text. Uh, The Greek term is uh, Uranos. And in this context, it obviously obviously refers to the sky rather than the abode of God because it's depicting Jesus' descent with the clouds. Okay? Um, And you have the nations here or tribes of the earth. And it says that they will see, see him. Uh, and in other words, it, it, it's not indicating that this is some localized event, but a global appearance. Again, uh, Revelation 1, 7 confirm, confirms that. The tribes, it says that they're going to mourn. Um, that's not referring to repentance. Some people interpret that, but it's not. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, uh, I, I believe it's a mourning of, you know, they understand what is coming upon them. Uh, that they know that Jesus is coming as judge. Um, the, uh, great cross reference to this text is the the the, uh, the sixth seal in Revelation six. Uh, the they're you know yeah they're fleeing to the caves or they're they're they want to kill themselves because they don't want they don't want to experience God's judgment. Uh, but of course, if they kill themselves, they're going to uh, immediately ex- of course experience God's judgment. So. So the nations are not going to repent. They're going to be hardened. And um, Jesus is coming back as judge. You know, I, I, I know that for, for many people, that's, that's an idea that doesn't, you know, um, comport with their sensibilities. But, uh, you know, we all deserve God's judgment. And by his infinite, you know, mercy and wisdom, he has extended grace to his people. Uh, and, <clears throat> and by that notion, uh, we need to give, God's, give God thanks for his mercy uh, and, and realize that he is, though, going to be a judge uh, for those that he has not extended mercy upon. Jesus is coming back as judge, as a rightful judge, and he is just to judge the wicked. And there is coming a day when God says no more, and he will send his son, and there will be a human, divine human intervention, to say the least. And when he does come, he's coming on the clouds, it says. The clouds are vehicles of uh, transportation, if you will. In antiquity, they were a cachet of, of deity. So Jesus c- can be called the divine cloud rider. Uh, his appearance at his return 
It's going to be the par excellence of theophanies. Uh, it's going to be the global and definitive revelation, and it's going to bring this present age to completion. And it's going to be the fulfillment of a promise given at his ascension. In Acts 1, 9 through 11, I'll read that. It says, after, after he said this while they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near him and, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Well, what, what, what way was that? That was through clouds, right? He ascended in, in, in with a cloud and he's coming back in clouds. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 